Hi, I'm Paul Swingflow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's special show, we grab the latest announcements from Veeam's Velocity event in Orlando, Florida and take a look at how these announcements are going to play a big part in Veeam's strategic shift from data backup to data management company. So, settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another Tech Interviews episode. Um, so this is a little bit of a, a special, slipped slipped into the uh, the normal proceedings, because uh, I wanted to do um, a show looking at some announcements coming uh, from uh, the Veeam Velocity event that's been held uh, currently in Orlando in Florida, which is uh, for very nice for those people who are out there. Uh, so to help me to do that is a uh, returning guest to the show. I've uh, been on more than once, um, but not been on for a little while. So, um, so I'd like to welcome back Michael Cade. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, Stringy. I'm all good. I thought I'd better come back um, after having my uh, my colleague and peer, Dave Russell, come on a couple of weeks back. Um, I thought I'd better, better get in contact and come back on and, and state, state my, my claim there. Well, as I said, there's always a open sofa for you in the uh, tech interview studio, so um, you're, you're always well, always welcome to come and crash out on it and uh, and, and have a chat around technology. So, um, well, look, before we get uh, stuck into this, I've said you've been on the show a few times, but for people who've not heard you, um, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us, uh, tell us uh, who you are and what it is you do. Cool. Yeah. So I'm Michael Cade. I'm a global technologist within the Veeam's product strategy team, and basically, what that allows me to do is understand a bit about the the future of where we're going from a Veeam perspective, but also get to speak to our customers, our prospects, gain that feedback and then feed that back up into, into our product management. And that will ultimately shape what comes next from a Veeam point of view, very much a feedback driven release function that we have. And, and that's really the, the most part of my job, as well as content and, and delivering a lot of our our speaking slots, our breakouts at, at various different events, spreading the, the Veeam word. Um, you can find me, I'm on the Twitters at Michael K1, and I do a bit of blogging at um, www.vzilla.co.uk. So, well, so that, that gives people a good flavour and actually leads in quite nicely to the conversation I wanted to have with you because it's that kind of um, strategy view that has interested me in these kind of announcements that uh, that are currently uh, currently being released out of uh, the Velocity event. Um, and it's not because I think, you know, it's not the, the, as with all announcements and, and kind of product update announcements, there's loads of things, you know, tweaks and finessing and, and extra kind of features. But what did intrigue me about what's been talked about at the moment is how this feeds into something that I first started hearing Veeam talk about a couple of years years ago about this kind of uh, global availability you know this high availability f- across any location you know we, we all know about Veeam's background you know the idea of, uh, of a company that started off by backing up uh, kind of VMware and, and virtual environments Hyper-V etc um, and, and being really smart about the way they did that and, and presenting high availability on-prem but a couple of years ago we started to hear these conversations around stretching that into kind of the modern world that we're all starting to work in this kind of hybrid cloud environment where we maybe have some stuff on-prem and then we'll maybe have some stuff in a big public cloud and Veeam was starting to focus on uh, providing availability of applications and data almost regardless of location. And it's these kind of updates that I'm seeing at the moment that I think are starting to deliver um, some of that in, in practical terms, actually starting to give us that kind of, uh, you know, really delivering on some of those kind of strategic promises of, of a couple of years ago. Um, so, so I want to focus on a couple of areas particularly around this. Now, I think some around some really interesting cloud uh, cloud availability and cloud mobility announcements, as well as some quite smart stuff around what you're doing in uh, a technology I think has just been rebranded as Data Labs, but we're We'll kind of come into that, but but I want to start a little bit, maybe looking at some of this kind of cloud integration piece. I think it's one of the big challenges.
is that we um, we see for lots of uh, lots of our customers is that how do we use strategically and tactically use public cloud and, and integrate it in with our with our daily uh, kind of daily usage. And I think that's a big part of some of these announcements. So you know, tell us a little bit about um, some of this kind of cloud integration stuff that, that you're currently announcing. Yeah, Stringy. So so one of the key points here is that so for the last 18 months, I imagine everyone who listens to the show is having a conversation around the public cloud, whether that's a, looking at a hybrid model, looking to go all in on the public cloud, but or even how, how are we going to leverage the the public cloud do we want to use it for our long-term backups do we want to use it for our burstable workloads and and all of that but we're the the noticeable thing is is that we're having those conversations um and i think that was a pivot for us in terms of okay we want to be on that we want to be able to look at that and, and deal with that data regardless of whether it is the front end production data or whether it's being able to leverage that as from a backup perspective so the first and biggest announcement coming in the update four piece is the cloud tier. So what the cloud tier allowed, allows us to do is send what, so we have an operational restore window on premises that if we take a, the, a large majority of our customers, they will be running VMware, Hyper-V, whatever on premises. And an operational restore window could be 7, 14, 30 days. That's really where you're going to have to focus on any recover, fast recoveries as fast as possible back into production, 7, 14, 30 days. It could be could be less, could be could be more. But from a compliance point of view, from a SLA point of view, that's normally around that 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 bracket. But after that, we traditionally you'd then off maybe offload those to a dupe device or potentially off to tape or even leverage one of our service providers and, and, and send those those backups there. And that's not gone away. That's still a completely viable solution. And a lot of our customers won't move to a, to this new model that we're, that we're having. But what the cloud tier allows us to do is connect to AWS S3, allows us to connect to Microsoft Azure Blob Storage, or ultimately any S3 compatible storage, as well as Swift Stack or Swift. Anything that uses those protocols, we're able to to connect into and set a schedule or a policy that allows us to tear off those backups that are older than that 7, 14, 30 day retention that we keep on premises and tear them into object storage. Now, the difference with us and our competition at this point is how we get that data up there. So a lot of our competition, and this is why we've really focused on the innovation of this, this feature, is that a lot of our competition, they will take that their full backup file, and they will put it into object storage. Now, that's fine. You tick a massive box in the RFP at that point, and you say, that's that's great. You can, you can leverage the public cloud for your backups. But actually, when you look at how inefficient that, that is, so if we ever have to recover anything from that full backup file, we have to pull back that whole backup file, which is going to, especially in the, the likes of the public cloud, where egress charges are apparent and they... they can get quite costly is that if you're pulling down a terabyte backup file and you're doing that maybe every every quarter or every every year it's still going to be a large egress charge so what we've done is we've looked at that that issue and we've gone okay we need to be more efficient on how we store the data of that backup inside of that uh, inside of the public cloud and we've done that by 
leveraging chunks or small small blocks of data that we're sending, small objects ultimately that we're pushing into our cloud tier. But then we keep a, a metadata, a pointer file, a carospace, whatever you, whatever you, it's ultimately a pointer which contains this metadata. And that points to all of those blocks. Think of it like a, a valet parking system. And we're looking at where all, all of our, that metadata tells us where where the blocks of data are that we need. So if it's an exchange mail item, if it's a, a file from our file server, we know where that is because we can we we've got the we've got the metadata that tells us. That metadata is also stored within that S3 bucket. So if you think you lost your production site, then we've still got if we just connect back up onto the, back into that S3 bucket, we can get we've still got the the list of where the cars are stored and the names of of those cars, if that makes sense from an analogy point of view. So the biggest thing there is that if we ever have to recover something from this full backup, maybe a file from a file server, well, we only just have to bring back the small chunks of data that ha actually have the, the blocks of data that we require, which ultimately allows us to reduce the, the cost of egress from that point of view. But it also makes us really efficient. So as you ha will have seen, Anthony, my my colleague um, in our team, he will have demoed CloudTier. And what he's actually done is he's taken a WordPress system, a web server by all accounts, that is stored inside of a CloudTier, leveraging AWS S3, and he's going to be running an instant VM recovery, so our painted technology that will ultimately take that S3 bucket or those, those blocks of data, present them as a data store within a vSphere environment on-premises, and boot that up and get back up and running. And that, let's just say he's got four or five minutes to, to be able to show that. So that, that and that's real, it's live, it's, he's showing that. That's the capabilities of what this what this feature can can deliver. So, so there's a couple of things you said right at the start of that, a kind of introduction to that feature that, you know, is probably the thing that's attracted me to this and has made this interesting. And I think it's that, you know, you, you talked at the beginning there about how um, that's the conversation that people are having. You know, we are talking about um, and, and I think what's important with that, it's a conversation we're having right now is that I don't think necessarily a lot of the organizations we talk to are looking at whole you know wholesale lift and shift of on-prem infrastructures and putting them into public cloud uh, i think they are more likely to be doing kind of what you're talking about there which is this tactical use of public cloud so where public cloud is useful to us um let's use that you know because where we can see business benefit we can get a good business outcome let's let's use that and i think cloud storage um fits up that model really well in that cloud storage has got this kind of potentially limitless i'll put that in air quotes doesn't really work on a podcast <laughs> i know but, I'll, but but you know it's almost this potentially limitless scale at a commercially attractive cost so it does make quite a good initial foray into kind of public cloud i mean is that is that what you're seeing or, or are you seeing more people starting to lift and shift entire infrastructures or is it this much more tactical use of where public cloud fits let's see how we can use it and then ultimately can we seamlessly integrate that into what we're doing yeah i mean we're seeing both ends of the, the scale, right? Is that but but the the most common is going to be okay. Let's dip our toe in the water and see what it see what it's like. And even you can go and look at the analysts and what the figures they're coming. But one of the top um, cloud adoption rates is you leveraging it for longer term backup or for backup and, re and replication for for certain workloads. It's not necessarily taking your tier one application that 
is your absolute business critical system that you've architected the life out of it on premises so that it's the most efficient you've put it onto the best storage you've put it in the best environment on premises you know just because cloud is is cheaper or more efficient or whatever that driver is in the real life that doesn't mean that you're just going to pick and pick that tier one application up and put it into the likes of aws or azure because it's not the same management plane you're you've got a very there's a there's an education gap in in terms of if you're going to do that, you need to be as, as, a, as an admin, you don't have to be as confident that you're going to get exactly the same service or better within that public cloud. And it's not a like for like situation. We're also seeing a lot more conversations around VMware and AWS for that exact reason is that you're getting the benefits of the public cloud, but I don't have to reskill as a vSphere admin on premises. So I can, you, you see where I'm going with, we can use exactly the same tool sets to do that. And that might be the dip in the toe, dip in the toe in the water to start moving workloads into the public cloud and, and benefiting from those those features. So so that kind of actually that thing about same tool sets and almost that kind of familiar set of tools that can allow us to orchestrate quite complex things probably leads on quite nicely to kind of the second thing that, that really struck me with with uh, kind of the, this shift of uh, and this emphasis that Veeam are doing and, and what they've what they've been announcing is this idea of I think you know you talked about about uh, dipping your toe in the water you know looking at how do I use cloud in the best way and how do I ultimately I suppose how do I run a service or an application or a set of data from the most appropriate place and the most appropriate place probably depends what you're doing with it you know there's kind of test and dev environments there might be DR environments there might just be uh, the need to move some workload to to somewhere else that doesn't always have to be public cloud uh, but one of the the interesting things and it's it's kind of coming I think with a little bit of a little bit of an extension of some existing capabilities and maybe a little bit of a finessing of, of some of the stuff that you already do is this kind of idea of, of portability of workloads you know this this kind of realization now of again something that I first heard a couple of years ago about having a workload and being able to protect it um, in any location and restore it to any location and so do you want to talk a little bit about some of the extensions and capabilities that are in uh, the, the, these kind of new updates that are allowing us to do that kind of thing to take a workload to, to take a data set and make it protect it pretty much anywhere and then make it available in some other kind of almost any other location that you want to yeah and i think this so the first thing to mention here is obviously from a veeam perspective we're software only we're not we're not tied to any hardware yes we have a lot of hardware alliances and all of that good stuff but we are software only and hardware agnostic in terms of that and cloud cloud ready and we'll get to what that what that actually means from an actual technical point of view and not the marketing fluff that we see. But the biggest thing that we've done over the last 18 months, two years, is really broaden that platform. So as as Stringy said at the beginning of the, the call, it was very much a, we focused on virtualization for the first 10 years of our our, our being, is, is looking after VMware and Hyper-V workloads and changing the way we protected virtual workloads with an agentless approach and all of that good stuff that we've obviously done done quite a bit there and, and been quite successful in creating our own market and changing the shift towards that data protection and, and availability strategy for, for customers. Then over that last 18 months to two years, it's been around broadening that platform, releasing of physical agents, being able to protect those windows and Linux boxes. We acquired some code last year to be able to protect AIX and, and um, and other and, and Oracle Solaris, 
Office 365, most a lot of people in the last 18 months have started that shift off into SaaS-based workloads. So we've got an op- we've got a, a an option for for protecting that workload as well as that public cloud to be able to protect those those workloads. So, but that all starts with what that data format looks like. So if we're able to protect Nutanix AHV, which again came out last year, VMware, Hyper-V, physical agents for Windows, Linux. If you think about all of those different, and they are vastly different in terms of what their architecture looks like, how they, how we, what we can do with them and where they can live. Like you can't just pick up a VMware machine, a VMDK, and start it in Hyper-V, for example. There's some sort of conversion process that has to happen. So from a Veeam perspective, we back up everything into what we have as a .vbk file. This is our full full um, backup file. But regardless of where that comes from, so whether it's a physical agent for Windows or Linux or VMware or Hyper-V or Nutanix, they're all in a VBK format. So then the next journey on that is what we've seen Two years, eight, again, 18 months, two years ago, we, we came out with a capability called Direct Restore to Microsoft Azure, which allows us to take any of those VBK formats, convert that machine or those machines into Azure virtual machines, and they, you have it in your Azure portal. You've got running machines up there now with network and storage and everything's running up there, which are, from a de- test and dev point of view, allows you to go in, you can test against those, make sure that the workload actually does and sits in there and it, it works fine, but also be able to leverage it for developers so that you can, rather than having developer kit and hardware on-premises, you could actually just leverage the public cloud for that. So in update four, we continue this cloud mobility or this mobility of our data to be able to run that direct restore process to Azure Stack. So as we start to see people roll out their own private clouds within within their data center, we've got the ability to convert those those VBK formats into those into the into an Azure Stack environment, but also into Amazon EC2 instances. So by taking a that VBK format, we can send that into AWS. So we're ticking off three of those conversions, but. Also, what's in the product today is the ability to take that VMDK, send it to a VHD, VHD to a VMDK. So you've, we've already had that portability for a long time, and we've thought about that for a long time. We just probably don't shout about it quite enough. But that cloud mobility, giving the option to go and test out what that app, that tier one application looks like in AWS as an EC2 instance, or go and give it to your developers in um, AWS or Azure and, and give the be able to move your development cycle to a to more of a, an OPEX cost rather than having to have that hardware sat on premises and have to have to keep that maintenance um, ongoing as, as we go so that's the that's really that cloud mobility piece Paul yeah and and I think those use cases actually you've talked about there are the, are the ones that kind of been in my head a little bit I think it's not you know, obviously, there's great use cases, and I've been able to maybe back up on-prem and do those direct restores into AWS and Azure, and give you a level of DR capability. And I think that yeah, that's an obvious and and powerful use case. And there's there's reasons that people might want to do that. You know, there's there's some complexity around you know restoring all of your infrastructure and sticking it in AWS, and 
it just working. But you know, there's there's you know, you plan that as part of your process and Veeam have some other tools I know around things like networking and stuff that can help. Um but it's some of those other instances that I think you're talking about there as well. It's that idea of being able to create dev and test environments and and almost test whether my application will run well in AWS or might run well in Azure or maybe on-prem. You mentioned Azure stack in there as well. And it, it's that kind of flexibility. It's that, it's that mobility that I think, again, really caught my interest in that it's one of those challenges that I think lots of lots of people I talk to, certainly, you know, they're looking again. We talked about this earlier, but they're looking again. How do I tactically use cloud to deliver business benefits to achieve some kind kind of outcome. And one of the things that we look at was how do I take some of these things that I run on-prem today, will they run in the cloud? You know, is it is it a realistic thing that I can put it there? Or like you said, you know, maybe I want to give developers access to a database. I don't want to do that on-prem because it's too expensive. I don't have the resource. Well, actually, now what Veeam are doing is because they've, you know, you, you talked about a lot there, but because, you know, that idea of that what you've done is you're, you're dealing with I suppose the difficulty of transition between those platforms, you know, Veeam have orchestrated all of that difficulty away from you by putting all of that data in a format that you can then easily transition into these other clouds. And I mean, are you seeing people really start to, start to cause it, it would be one of the things that certainly will grab my attention as a really powerful capability here. But is that something that you're seeing people start to do now and saying, yeah, actually I want to do some dev and test with this. And actually I'm going to use this tool to test it in AWS, then test it in Azure maybe, or, or do the other way. Can I take a, a, um, an application that's running in Azure today and test what it runs like on-prem. You know, are you seeing that people starting to kind of grab that use case and, and run with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So obviously one of the, the key responsibilities for me in, in the role that I do within Beam is gaining that feedback and shaping what, what our product looks like. So these features aren't just thought off the, they're not thought around the, the breakfast table, the lunch, dinner table. They're, they're like, there's, there's reasoning behind it that we don't just release something that we think is going to be the the required thing within within a data center or within an environment. So, and, and those customers are are using it. They're giving us feedback. And when you actually look at the process and get to see what it looks like within update four, but actually being able to so you go through and you pick, for example, on the restore to AWS. You can go through there and you pick your instance type. So we pull down, um, or we have visibility into what those those uh, EC2 instances look like. So whether they've got X amount of memory or CPU, and and obviously the disk as well. And we'll give you an estimated monthly cost on that as well. So as you go through the wizard, rather than just blindly going, yes, I want to send my SQL box up into AWS for my developers to go and work against, or my web servers to go and work against blah, 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 pick the best and the biggest instance that we've got. Okay, and and off, it, off it goes with that restore process. We actually got some insight into, okay, if we use that, it's going to cost this much. And they're added features that we've put into into this to, to allow for that, I guess, for the, to be able to see what, what it looks like from a, from an AWS costing model at that point as well. Yeah, no, I mean that's I mean that's really powerful stuff because I think one of the challenges that we see is people try and move to public cloud is cost modeling. You know, they, they, it's it's difficult for people to kind of have a have a full understanding of if I run this over there, what does it look like? But you know, and I, I do think this whole thing plays really well into you know, as I said before, it's, it, it, the thing that appealed to me about particularly these kind of couple of announcements around that integration of public cloud storage with with cloud tier. 
and this kind of portability of workload capability. Now, I think those um, there's lots of illities in there. I just realised when I said that, but um, mm. you know, I think there's there's lots of um, lots of really good strong business use cases. And you talked to, actually you, you talked before about these are not things that are just dreamt up around the breakfast table. And I think that that is, again has been something that's that's resonated with me with these announcements. Is these are absolutely the conversations that we're having with our customers about how do I achieve these things? You know, how do I use public cloud? How do I auto orchestrate and automate the movement of workloads between different locations because they are you know, real challenges that people are seeing um, and that probably leads on to kind of the last thing that I, that, that I wanted to pick up on with you um, and uh, you know and I've realized we're, we're kind of running quite close to our time here so but one of the other big challenges that we see is around this idea of data security and you know data protection and, and kind of data, making sure that our, our data assets are protected you know one, one of the big areas that we see people concerned about constantly are the the impact of malicious code you know the uh, everybody likes to talk about ransomware um and i suppose one of those challenges of course you should have a good robust uh, data protection strategy so if you are ever get hit by something like that you've got a way of recovery but one of those challenges i think is that how do you ensure that the data that you then bring back um is safe and clean before you place it back in your production environment and so one of the things that really struck out to me and it does seem it seems almost a trivial uh, almost a trivial addition but um i think plays quite well with this uh veeam data labs concept that you talked before about veeam have loads, loads of great capabilities that they don't often shout about and i think data labs is maybe one of those uh, but you've got this kind of um uh, uh, idea of what's called a uh, secure restore so can you share a little bit about what that is and and some of the use cases around that as well yeah, so Data Labs, and for those existing Beam customers out there, you might, will have heard us talk about things like Sure Backup, Sure Replica. You'd have heard us talk about Virtual Labs. You'd have heard us talk about on-demand sandbox from storage snapshots and sandbox environments and verified recoverability. And, and this is just an extension of that. So if those that haven't, then the introduction to that is around... So obviously Veeam backup of virtualization, we've touched on that already. The, the, the key to what we've done, and we've done this for many years, so that, the ability for Sure Backup and Sure Replica has been around for, for a while. Um, and that, that, that ability is, the, is us being able to take that backup file again and be able to offer out an automated way of giving that to an isolated environment. And we could either automate the process of being able to check whether the, the VM, the app, and the OS is in a good state, and then a report gets sent off to your admin. So think about the process here is that we're running a backup, we're running it on a daily basis, maybe even a half daily basis, or whatever that schedule may be. We then want to trigger a verification of that backup. And okay, yeah, we can run checksums against the data and make sure the blocks are all good, and we can do that health check. But what this is, is actually taking that backup file Presenting that backup file using vPower NFS, which is our ability and our painted technology that allows us to present that into the environment, spin up those virtual machines in an isolated network, an absolutely segregated network, and then run tests against the VM, the app, and the OS, and then send that automated report, bring it all down, and that, that backup then gets stored. But what you've got is that report to say, look, we spun this up. We've tested against that application on that VM within this group of application servers. You've got a big thumb up there to say that's in a good state. Then we went one further and went, actually, that's great. 
but how can we actually leverage that data? How could we give that out to development teams or how could we give that out to security teams from a pen testing point of view or troubleshooting operations? How do we give it out to our tier three help desk for testing and troubleshooting against existing or troubleshooting support calls? rather than them having to do that against their production systems and training against production systems. So that was kind of the first iteration of Veeam Data Labs. And, and that really gives us, and we could do that from a storage snapshot, from a backup. We could even do simulated disaster recovery using Shure Replica. And that's really about that verification, that leveraging of data. What Paul was talking about is the secure resource. So one of the, an, an extension of that Veeam Data Labs piece is Exactly, exactly this. So the ransomware, malware, in, infectious files, and this is my demo um, on main stage. So I should get this right in terms of being able to talk about this feature. And it is Let's hope so. My best. It's my favorite feature coming in update four, hence why I'm doing the demo. But um, what it allows us to do is a ransomware file, or let's say an infectious file, a virus can be sat on your file system and it can be sat there for weeks, months, even years. And then suddenly it time bombs and then off it cut and then out it comes and then it encrypts or does some malicious activity within your environment. Now at that point, then we need to recover. Now we can recover back to the minute before that happened, but that doesn't necessarily remove the threat because that stagnant file could be sat there in the file system again ready to go off in another 90 180 365 days which okay that's not really affected us up until now but as we know ransomware and that if you probably everyone has seen that burst of all of those malicious files that that um, have happened over the last three four years so we decided that it was. It would be good for us to integrate with third-party antivirus tools to be able to run a scan against that backup before we go through the recovery process. Now we have a lot of recovery process. I think prior to prior to update four, we had fifty-seven. I might be wrong there, so don't don't quote me on that. But um, fifty-seven restore scenarios. One of them being instant being recovery. I've touched about this vPower NFS, the quickest way of being able to take that backup file, present it as a data store within VMware or Hyper-V, and then spin that machine up and you're back up and running in a matter of minutes. Then use native quick migration, live migration, vMotion, et cetera, to move it back into fast production storage. So we can run, we can choose during that option, whether we during that restore process, whether we want to invoke a, an antivirus scan. And what that basically means is we're going to take that backup file. Yes, we're still going to use vPower NFS, but we're going to mount those those disks for that backup for that virtual machine that we're we're um, we want to scan. We're going to mount that to a, an isolated um, mount server, which is where our antivirus software is installed. It's updated. All the definitions are up to date. We're going to run, perform a scan against that before. And now now we've got three options or three choices to make. One is, if we don't find anything, continue to restore. If we find something, then let's go. We, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I, I still want to, I still want to recover, but 
let's just disable the network in kind of a safe mode so that I can go into it via the console and I can go through and I can I can uncover what that what the issues are. Or just abort the VM recovery completely because I know that it's infected, I don't want anything to do with it, and off we go. That mount server, that could be Windows Defender running on that, it could be ESET, it could be Symantec Protection Engine, but ultimately any antivirus that has a command line, CLI ability, then we can we can interact with that. And I think it's it's just it's a really because it does it almost sounds like you know I think when you you see that in the kind of the it's great to get all excited about kind of cloud mobility and integration of public cloud because that's you know it's a hot topic everyone wants to talk about cloud but I think one of the biggest headaches we see for um, you know the the IT pros that we work with is things like this you know although this sounds like a relatively trivial thing. It's quite a complex process and something that can sit in there and offer increased protection, can automate and orchestrate a lot of that process for you. And then add, it's just adding another level of protection against these. You know, we, we all look at data as an asset now, don't we? And, and data's got value to us and, you know, and is, is hugely important. Lots of companies, it is the company, you know, the data they own is, you know, it, it almost defines them and, and is the reason they exist as an organization. And so anything that can come in and can make that data protection process more secure and more straightforward, you know, that's got to be a good thing. And I, I mean, was that, was that kind of the thinking behind introducing Secure Restore as well that, you know, you, you wanted to automate and remove a lot of the risk around kind of data restore and, and the impact of restoring, you know, because obviously the impact of restoring still infected data back into your production environment potentially could be huge. Yeah, yeah, exactly that is that we're, we recognize that we're, we're the data management, we're the, the, we're the control plane there. So by being able to integrate or automate that, that, that process, and that kind of leads on to the, the next one that's kind of linked to this. And I'll touch on that briefly before you kick me off the show, Paul. But um, yeah, exactly that. So being able to do it, instant VM recovery, being able to do it for set, like individual disks back into a file server, for example, that's one of the examples that I, I, I talk about on the, on, the, on the demo. But also we spoke about that cloud mobility. So, okay, if I'm gonna take a workload that's on-premises, that's running my file server or SQL or, or whatever workload that may be, prior to pushing it into AWS or Azure, I'll, this is an option. You can run that secure restore before it goes into, into another environment. And that I think is, is very thoughtful in terms of how this data movement and migration is that data can be data is going to be different or, or going to be used differently between different clouds or different environments and be able to be able to do this sort this level of integration at such an easy within such an easy process and it's a choice as well you don't have to spend the time and run that scan it's a choice so that's again we're just giving that option to be more secure be be confident that when we recover that machine it's going to be in the best possible state for your business to carry on working. And I think that's the, that's the kicker. And then the, what stage restore, which is another, another feature coming in update four, and that's the ability for us to inject a process into that recovery. So let's think about windows update. Let's think about masking data. Let's think about all of those tasks that we may have to perform manually today when we've performed a recovery. So by, 
By that, I mean when we go through that recovery process and we're sending back our SQL database or we're sending a SQL database to our development team in a different environment, a different away from production, and that's where they want to work with that. If we wanted to inject a process into that, into that recovery or into that restore function, then what Stage Restore allows us to do is actually inject a script of some description, whether that's PowerShell, Bash, etc. We can inject that script into that machine before it then lands onto that that environment. So that's just another another area of where we see this automation orchestration engine moving towards. Like, how can we better define what that recovered workload looks like? And I think actually you you ended that with a a phrase that was kind of been going around in my head while we've while we've spoken about um, uh, some some of the kind of the announcements and some of these kind of key shifts that that Vima making is that orchestration piece. I think you know and, and I mean my my opinion of this is that and, and the reason I wanted to kind of get you on to talk about this was the idea that I think what a lot of these updates are doing is really positioning Veeam strategically really well as that kind of orchestration engine that can sit above a complex environment and that complex environment can kind of live in lots and lots of um, lots of interesting places uh, you know that might be on prem it might be public cloud it might be in a colo it might be sat on a hci platform somewhere and that veeam is starting to build into their kind of day-to-day operational product set a whole bunch of tools that can orchestrate what can be quite complex tasks and just take away a you know lift away a lot of that complexity from the you know the overbid and IT admin who's running around doing a thousand other jobs but actually you've got a business that wants to be able to take advantage of a lot of these benefits so so I think it's a really important step forward for Veeam I think some really interesting stuff in in these announcements so just actually before we wrap up here uh, I mean is there a because I mean, there is a ton of other things that are coming out in these announcements so is there um, and we really don't have time to go into all of those I mean you've got your Mickey Mouse ears and swimming trunks to pack before you get off to Florida um, <laughs> but I mean if, is there a good place where uh, people listening to this show if they want to find out more or even maybe you know kick the tires on some of this stuff is there a place that people can go and find out more about some of these announcements and, and maybe try some of this stuff out so by the time you put this out paul everything will be at a ga version so everything will be fully downloadable and available from that that point of view so beam.com is the best place to get that we can give you 30-day trials there's nfr keys for certain community groups out there the experts etc um so we can we can sort that and give you access to that that um, in terms of where you can find a bit more deeper level information, over the next month, you're going to see the Veeam blog get lit up with new content around deep information around these features. So you're going to see Anthony talking about cloud tier. You're going to see me talking about in depth around stage and secure restore and the, some of the use cases. One of the things that we are very passionate about in terms of just going, we don't want to just give you a user guide we will there is a user guide a lengthy user guide but we don't want to just do that what we want to do is actually give you the use cases because you may not have thought about how to use this or or you and that's that'll be the exciting thing for me over the next year is i want to understand how people then take our product and these features and then bend it to do something that their business wants and that's the most exciting thing when i speak to some of our existing customers is that they're doing something it wasn't intended to do but it works for their process and their their work and that's the flexibility part of what what beam's all about is being able to do more so yeah loads of blogs um our vanguards um 
they're going to be ramping up um, lots of lots and lots of content around update four. So a bit more of a a, a look from a community perspective. We've got partners in there. We've got customers in there. We've got service riders in there. So how does it look for from all of them different angles? So yeah, you're going to get a lot of a lot of heat around update four over the next month or so to understand what it means. And and if people want to um, haunt you and find out uh, some of the content you you've got out there and s- some of your thoughts on this, um, I, I know you mentioned it at the start of the show, but uh, again, how how can people follow you online? So I'm on the Twitters at Michael K1 and my blog site is vzilla.co.uk. Well, I know, I know we've run a little bit over the, what we normally do on this show, but I thought there was so much um, packed into these kind of Veeam announcements. And I think, you know, strategically important stuff. I, th- I think people listening to this show who are planning uh, their IT strategies going forward and looking at how they kind of orchestrate some of these complex integrations or complex tasks. I think, you know, Veeam is, is really putting itself out there as a, as a platform where, it, you know, it can be seriously considered in in organisations and enterprises of, of all kinds. So, so I thought it was worth you know a little bit of a longer show uh, on, on this occasion to talk about that. So, um, so Michael, uh, thanks very much for your time. Uh, you, you need to go and sort out your swimming trunks and Mickey Mouse ears, as we said. So, um, hey, but thanks for your time on this, and uh, look forward to having you again on the show real soon. Cheers, Stringy. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Next week, normal services resumed as we take a look at the world of cyber threat hunting. So, to make sure you catch that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So, until next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>